All right, Father, we come before in Jesus' name. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. I pray people would have their ears open. They want to hear the truth. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's be here. A lot of churches will start out with the Lord's Prayer. It'll be Matthew 6. We do an overhead. Problem was, I said, I'm reading this version. He said, oh, we don't have that on the computer. So, but most of you can say it by heart. Our Father who art in heaven, I would be your name. Stop. I want to walk through it. Our Father who art in heaven, how would be your name? What does that even mean? Halloween is called Hallow's Eve. Is that when the spooky things come out? God, make your, make your name spooky. What does that mean? Um, revered, reverenced, known, awed, exalted, worshipped, but a name is uh, someone's character. So that's what I always talk about. It's the character of God. And uh, yeah, Melissa wasn't complaining about it, but then she ended with uh, that amazing description of God that's all through the Bible, but very few people really know God that way. When God described himself as compassionate and gracious. Compassionate and gracious. Like you moms out there, the way you feel about your kids, that's how he feels about you. No, that's not the God in my head. That That's not, I was in a private religious school. That wasn't the God we were taught about. Well, then you're taught about the wrong God because that was God's description of himself, the Moses. That was what Jesus lived out. Compassionate and gracious, which means he feels for you and he wants to do stuff for you. Slow to anger. He doesn't want to punish you. He doesn't like to punish people. No, that's not what my grandpa, he was a priest or pastor. No, he wouldn't have been a priest. He's a pastor. He was a priest who broke his vows and they got married. But he's a pastor, some religious person I knew. No, God's angry. He's right. No, slow to anger. Bounding in chesed, loving kindness, and faithfulness. That's the way he always is. So God, our Father, that's that's one right. Our father, you're supposed to have a father relationship with him, not a oh thou who art enthroned above the cherubim. No, daddy. Seriously, a couple of times it, Paul says that when you're truly born again, your spirit cries out, Abba, Papa. I know this is offensive to people. It's because they don't really know the God of the Bible or the God that Jesus was talking about. We all believe in some concept of God, but most of us are nice. So our Father who art in heaven. So we're supposed to pray this way. Papa, Abba, Daddy, who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Let your name, your real name, your real character. Not all these million varieties of false representations of you. And what you, you're praying, so you're like, through me. Let me make known your name. We had a seminar yesterday where uh, I used to teach all the seminars, but then I discipled a bunch of guys, and man, God's raising up some really good teachers, men and women in this church. And James was teaching on my favorite subject, and he had me like get the waterworks going, like talking about the kindness of God, the goodness of God. God, let who you really are be known. That's the first line. We just run through it like a bunch of parrots. Father on heaven, how will be the name? Here we come, the will be done, right? Say 10 of those, and then God won't be mad at you anymore. What kind of nonsense is that? 
to think about who he is. Help me to make this who you are known. Then he says, what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's really what I want to focus on, at least as a launch point. Hmm. There's a lot of different directions I could take this. Anybody familiar with uh, King Arthur, Camelot, Knights of the Round Table, all that? That's a, that's a, its origins are in a ancient Welsh mythology and it's fuzzy and it's hazy. And then it became an kind of crystallized in an English work of supposed to be history, but it was really fictional about kings and then the french got a hold of it and put a bunch of romance in it and elements it just it's kind of evolved and so if you watch the musical that was emmy winning whatever uh back in 1967 that was just one variety of it but basically it's morphed into this thing where you have this kind of perfect king and perfect love and perfect justice knights of the round table is um Everybody has a voice and we're all fighting together for justice. And it's not might makes right, but, but might, you know, protects the right. Or, you know, it's like all everything. It's kind of in our hearts. We have this longing for this perfect situation. It's in our hardwiring. You personally, you want to be in a situation. You want to be in a community. Everybody does. Whether they're loved where they have peace, where they have fruitful relationships, where they have deep friendships, even a great romance, perfect children, people who around them who love them, meaningful work to do. People think, oh, if I was just rich and I could lay around on the beach, you'd want to kill yourself. We're supposed to be productive. We're supposed to be, seriously, that's, retirement looks pretty awful to me, quite frankly. You know, I don't, I joke and I say, I don't want to die wrecking a motorhome on a golf course somewhere, you know, driving it off a cliff in California because I fell asleep at the wheel. I want to die doing something meaningful, even when I'm old, because you can, you can have meaning and purpose in life. But in this perfect world, we can help people. There's poor people. We can teach them how to, you know, get on their feet and, make something good of their life and welcome us into this community. So in Camelot, that's what happens. This great king and his knights, they fight for the right and they bring an end to oppression and injustice and there's love and there's peace and there's prosperity. This is just a human longing in all of us. God put it there. It's, it's part of being a human being. And people come up with different fantasy visions of what that is. But that's the second line in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, down in this nightmare, like it is in heaven. And that's that's what we all want. And we want love, and we can't find love. And so we try to make people love us, and then when they don't love us, we shank them, and, you know, whatever. Uh, seriously. And we, we slander them and, we, we, and then we, I'll make the next people love me. And then we just turn into well, all these, these little monsters. No, everyone else is a monster. I'm fine. It's all those other jerks out there. If it, I'm the good one. And if it wasn't for all the jerks in the world, this world would be a wonderful place. No, we're all jerks. We're all monsters. We're all contributing to the chaos. 
We're supposed to connect to God and then pray that this longing that he put in our hearts be fulfilled. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Where we have peaceful relationships, we have good families, we have meaningful vocations, and not just vocations. I mean, who cares about earning money? But I'm doing something I love, some unique skill set God's given me, and it's a blessing and a benefit to my people and to people beyond me. Again, I tell people, I don't know what a, what a woman, what it, you know, what being a woman is. I've never been one, but I know what, what a man is. Is a man supposed to be? A man is supposed to be someone who can take care of his business and carry others. I really like that definition. I can, I can take care of myself. I'm not a beggar. I'm not needy. I'm not a drain. And I can carry others. Now, there's a process to get there where you're going to be dependent on other people. But uh, I want to feel fulfilled as a man. A woman wants to feel, be fulfilled as a woman. I want my marriage to work. I want, I want to have a positive impact on other people. I want to bring an end to oppression and injustice and poverty and all that kind of stuff. We want Camelot. Uh, any of you guys read C.S. Lewis, Narnia stuff? You really ought to. Great stuff. He's one of the smarter people who have lived in the last hundred years. And he went really easy on us by putting some of his great concepts into fantasy books and stories about this land called Narnia. But that's kind of also in Narnia. That's all these longings are fulfilled. And, you know, and Peter and Susan and Lucy and Edmund, who was a rat until he turned it around. Um, ultimately, they're, they're what's, the, what's the castle, Caraparavel? They're ruling and reigning, and there's peace and joy and harmony, and they break the curse of the White Witch and all this. Um, so I think he was, he was also tapping into that longing for this perfect world. We all have that. Why did God put it there? Just to frustrate us? Or just to wait for the sweet by and by? Yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna stink down here. Gotta slug it out. Gotta take what you can get. Kill or be killed. Red and tooth and claw, right? Survival of the fittest. No, you can have it here and now. If God is your father, and you really understand what that means, and you know his name, and you get on track with his program. So, uh, some passages. Some of you guys, we got some new faces in here, which is wonderful. We love new faces. And if you feel like you're getting overloaded with information, just hang in there because there's a lot of people that are brand new to this Christianity thing in this room. Like seriously, some of you that are new, people came right off, literally off the street. I'm not even talking about nice people that didn't go to church. I mean, hardcore sinners, you can look around. You're like, yeah, I could see that person being a hardcore person. Yeah, yeah, they really, really were. So there's, we're not a bunch of Bible, we're not a bunch of Bible scholars, uh, just born that way. There's some people. So, so there's going to be some things that you're going to feel a little lost. But in the, you know, in the Bible, Bible has two parts, right? You have the Old Testament, New Testament, right? We do, we do. This is what we learn in seminar. And in the Old Testament, you have three types of books. You have History, poetry, prophecy in the New Testament, history, epistles, prophecy. 
Yeah. So anyway, we teach people like how to handle the Bible. You know, literally a homeless person doesn't know which end to hold up the Bible. They they but getting back to this perfect world theme. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are just stories about Jesus' life from close followers. And then he dies for our sin so that we can be reconciled to God and we can call him Father. And he goes back to where he started. Jesus didn't start in a stable in Bethlehem. He was eternal God who created the universe, and he became a human being to solve our problem. And then he said, now that's done. I'm going back to dad. I'm going back to heaven. That's my paraphrase. It's not literally what he said, but that's what he did. He went back to, he said, I'm going to go back in where I started to experience the glory that I had with you before the world was. That's the Bible. God, the son, fixes our problem, then goes back to heaven, and then he leaves the job up to us. Because he defeated sin, he defeated the devil, he broke all the curses, and he said, now that all the work is done, now you guys apply it. I'm gonna, in a sense, I'm going to give the baton to you. I've, made, I've given you everything necessary to create that wonderful kind of perfect community. I've given you a... I don't have a Bible. I've got all these books. I don't have a Bible up here. On my phone, I have a Bible app. I've given you a book full of instructions so you can apply this victory to your situation. You don't have to be addicted. You don't have to be bound by sin. You don't have to be oppressed by demons and depression and anxiety. And you don't have to be crazy. I like doing it. People, oh, people come to church and say, he, he's never met anyone like me. I guarantee you, in this room, someone's got you beat. Guarantee you, we got people that have walked right out of mental hospitals, people with voices in their head, all meted up, people in jail, people, I mean, everything. He said, I came to set you free. I came to die for your sin, restore your relationship with the Father so you can pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. So then when he goes back to heaven, his followers say, cool, let's establish this ideal wonderful community and so the next book matthew mark luke john acts is his closest the 12 thing let's go bring this message to the world so that those inner longings that god put in them can be fulfilled your most fundamental yearning longing is to be loved you want a love that does not require anything of you that is not, that doesn't happen on this planet. I was talking with Jason. He said, your, your workplace says, oh, we want to be family here. And I always think it's hilarious when we're watching a sports team and say, we're family. I don't know if you guys know sports. Yeah, your family, if you can run a 4.5 second 40 yard dash and you can bench press 350 pounds and you can memorize a playbook. Otherwise, you're out of here right? Yeah, your family at the workplace, as long as you fit into the machinery as a cog and you make this place lucrative, then you're fit. Well, that, that's, that's not what we want. We don't want to have to earn that love. We just want to know we're a flat love, just love. And that's the, the book of John says, that's the light that comes into the world that the world doesn't know anything about. God loves you just because you are. And he died on the cross to forgive you 
because he knows what you've done. But he wants you to know that he'll forgive it all because he loves you just for who you are. So he died on the cross to take the penalty of your sin so you could be reconciled to God. So Jesus goes back to heaven. He says, well, let's set up this ideal community. And so you look in the book of Acts. Like, let's see, Acts chapter, let's go to the one in chapter two. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. Those were just the leaders. Those who had believed were together, had all things in common. They weren't communists. They were sharing. Everybody didn't give to some psycho cult leader. And that's, that's human perversion. These are people who love each other like the way I love my kids. See, I can get emotional. If my son today called me and said, Dad, I'm really hurting. I'm really confused. I'm really scared. You know, my sons are grown up, but that happens to grown-ups too. If, if God forbid my son said, Dad, I'm, I'm thinking about ending it all. I'd be on the plane. If, if I got a text like that, I'd say, see you later, guys. Anybody, someone else come up here and take over. No, better yet, why don't one of you guys come up here and lead in prayer while I jump in my car and go get on an airplane and go help my son. It was love that was motivating them to have all things in common. You don't have a house? What? I got a room in my basement. You don't have a job? Man, you know, come work on my construction crew, whatever. Let me, I don't have any skills. We'll teach you, right? It was love. It was love. That all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions or sharing them with all. Wouldn't you like to know that you're loved so much by someone that they'd be willing to sell their car? To, to meet your need, pay your medical expenses, whatever. But this is what's going on in this community. Day by day, continue with one mind in the temple. They weren't arguing, breaking bread from house to house. They like eating together. They're taking their meals together with gladness. You watch, you watch uh, specials on cults. The people check out, they check out their minds and they just blindly follow some crazy person. These people are authentically being themselves in loving community. And all through the New Testament, the leaders are saying, think, people, think, 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 test us, make sure we're legit. You know, like in a cult, they're like, stop thinking. I'm the grand poobah. You know, I'm the only one who can talk to God. These people are having fun. They're enjoying it. Gladness, sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with the people. The Lord was adding to their number every day. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a community like that? So let's see how they describe it in Acts chapter 4. The congregation of those who believed were one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Abundant grace was on them all. Grace is the kindness of God. So when you start doing this right, God starts showing up and miracles start happening. And people are clapping because there's miracles right here in this room. And those of you who knew, things have happened to people in this room that you probably didn't think were possible. So, and I'm not saying we're remotely close to what was going on here, but even if you do it, not so great and you're kind of dense, and you're a little slow, like we are, 
still works. There's not a needy person among them. All who are owners of land and houses would sell them, bring them proceeds of the sale, lay them at the apostles' feet. Now, through studying, I've come to believe this, what we're talking about here is extra stuff. Because they still had houses. They weren't like, everybody didn't just give everything to the apostles and they all went and lived under a bridge. No, someone's like, man, I got to track the land out by the lake. It's just sitting there. And uh, we need to... We need to build a, a center for the elderly in our church. Here, take it, apostles. Make, do something with this. They'd lay them at the apostles' feet. They'd be distributed to each as any had need. So you really have an amazing community. There's joy, there's love, there's friendship, sincerity. Um, and and it's, it starts with the love of God which is the thing everybody needs. Everybody says they understand, but I, over the years I've just become convinced that very few people, even truly born-again people, truly get it. God loves you just because he loves you. He loves you for the same reason that a mother loves her infant. And we're in this church, we're having, yeah, babies are raining down on our church. We just, babies, babies, babies. And a father just told me the other day, I, I've never felt anything like this. It's like ferocious, this love. Well, that's God's, what, did, what did the baby do? He existed. She existed. That's it. God says, well, I'll give you a little inkling of why I love you. And that kind of love will transform a community. Um, most religions are work really hard and God might love you if you try hard enough. He might let you in. That is satanic. The Bible says God demonstrates his love for us in that while we are yet sinners, dirtbags, criminals, thieves, liars, selfish little monsters, God, love, God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. You get a hold of that, you lock arms with some other people that get a hold of that, and uh, that's when you experience heaven on earth. It works. Um, I grew up in church. My dad was a minister. My brother's a minister. I've been in different churches. They can be ugly places. Brutal. I've heard about meetings. Bible colleges. People have the name Jesus, God. They say, we're Bible believing. And the stuff that goes on, maybe a lot of you, you're like, I'm kind of checked out of church because it's just full of hypocrites and liars and cruel people and um, just because that happens doesn't mean there's not a reality. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. He said, you didn't do the will of my father who's in heaven. What's the will of his, what's the will of the father? That that same love that transforms us, we turn around and let that flow out of us because that spirit gets in us and then we turn around and we love. Maybe I'll pick on, who's on the phone? Pick on Dom. You're going to love Dom, even though he doesn't mind me picking on him, right? Even though he's a homeless, crazy kid on meth. I'm chasing him down, texting him. He's homeless. Can we meet at two? No, I'm busy. Oh, he's What is he, like, going through his schedule? One to two o'clock, self-loathing. 
two to four, aimless wandering. I'm booked. I'm just booked up. No time. But there's a whole bunch of people like that. You just keep loving them and going after them. And you're like, why? Why am I going after them? Why do I love them? And then occasionally people are even mean. We'll let people into the community and we try to love them. And they, they're, pro, they're programmed for meanness. They, they waste your money and they say mean things and they slander. Sometimes they go away and they slander you and all this. You just keep going after them. Why? Well, love, crazy love that God has invaded me. I can't help myself. They wipe out really bad. You know, oh man, what are people going to think about our church? This person had a moral collapse or whatever. You just keep going after them and keep loving them. There is this reality out there. There is, you could say, a Camelot. There's a Narnia. And uh, we're just experiencing it a little bit. But one of the reasons I totally believe it is because we, I literally have something like euphoric joy probably three, four, five times a week where I get so emotional. Like even this morning, I was, I was like, Susan, oh, you got to listen to this song by this, because you're going to cry, aren't you? Like, yeah, I'm going to cry. Because God loves us. And, and then and when you let that transform you, you get in a community where other people have got it and they love you and you love them. And then you start welcoming people in. Yeah. Just on these front rows, man. Just amazing, 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 amazing. The way the love of God fixes us. So, our Father on heaven, hallowed be your name. What's his name? It's his nature. It's his character. It's his love. Most people don't know it. Most people in church today don't know it. Stand up, sit down, turn around. You know? You know, put your right foot out. Put your, you know, left foot out. Shake it all about. Whatever. Do the hokey pokey. Repeat this. They don't know what they're doing. It's the love of God that creates that community. So Jason and I recently went to Asbury uh, because there's kind of a really weird thing that went on out there in uh, Kentucky, Wilmore, Kentucky. People by the thousands, they were like drawn there because people had heard that God showed up in a unique way. It used to happen a lot. Um, from 1720 to about 1910, it used to happen a lot all over the world where God would show up in a very unique way and people would go and they'd be just floored and they wouldn't want to leave. They'd go, they'd, they'd, like the Welsh Revival in 1904 for a year and a half. If you had a church and the doors were open, it'd be packed, standing room only. Um, if church of 100, you know, you'd have 200 people there. It's church of 3,000, you'd have 4,000 people there sitting in the aisles. Because the presence of God was manifesting, that love of God, that thing that we're all hungry and thirsting for. So we drove out, and uh, it was pretty cool. And uh, luckily, we got there early, so we were able, able to actually get into the um, the chapel. People just wanted to worship. They just wanted to worship, just bask in God's presence and God's love. And then people would confess, I have a, I have a need. And they're brutal things. I saw a, a string of people confessing. Uh, praying about things. This one girl said, I was raped a year and a half ago. I, my mind has been just shot. And, uh, and she says, God's healing me. And he's, 
And then what happened was people that were there just in a good way mobbed her. They came over. They put their hands on her. They prayed for her. And then it wasn't a couple later, another girl was like, I've been sexually abused. This, this generation, man, is getting ravaged by pornography and sexual abuse and all this stuff. We're, we're, this is awful stuff. But anyway, these people are wrecked. They want a place of healing, want a place of love. So they're experiencing it. So we just drive out there. I'm like, I'm not necessarily feeling like I'm not experiencing God. But I'm like, wow, if God's doing something historic, I want to see it. So Jason and I jumped in the car and we drove out there. And yeah, this is really cool. Um, this is great. But as I looked around, like, why are all these people here? These are all people, most of these people, I would guess 90 plus percent of these people are already in church. Why are they driving halfway across the country? Because they're not getting that need in their heart met. There is a hunger for something that's not happening right now in a lot of our churches. Young people are bailing out of our Bible-believing born-again churches by the thousands when we witness the people on campus, oh, I used to be a Christian. Like the hip word now is deconstruct. I've deconstructed, right? It's because that what we're longing for, uh, the church we went to didn't have it. And that offends people, but let's just be honest. Why would our kids be bailing out if they were experiencing peace and joy and fruitfulness and love and healing and acceptance? So in the book of Acts, that's what's going on. You're not, you're not, people aren't bailing, jumping in ship. People are clamoring to get on the ship. And uh, Jesus said, pray, our Father art in heaven. How, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, down here, as it is in heaven. Are people fighting in heaven? Are, are people psychotic in heaven to have voices in their head? People being sexually abused and then not finding healing and acceptance and whatever. Divorce up there? No. Fatherless kids? Abandoned? No, no. Everything's getting fixed in heaven. God said, let that happen down here. And I grew up in churches where I was a crazy kid. I was demonized. My dad was a minister. I had voices in my head. I had night terrors. I had crazy compulsions. Nobody had a clue how to fix me. I just go to church on Sunday, and I thought everybody hated me because I was so naughty. In my heart, I really wanted God. There's something pushing me towards God, but um, I would inevitably be naughty. I didn't even like being naughty. I used to shoplift, and one time I felt so guilty, I took the stuff back. I just wasn't very good at being naughty, but I still just, that was all there was to do. Uh, and then I thought everybody in the church hated me and were judging me, and, and, but they didn't have the answers anyway. Then when I was 18, I said, Dog, I'm going to find out what's in that Bible, actually. What's in that Bible? What, I don't know what came. I think I know what came over me. Someone was praying for me. That's what happened. I said, I'm not going to listen to someone tell me what's in there and slap my hands if I discover something that isn't being said in our denomination. I'm going to ransack that thing. I'm going to tear it up. And uh, thank God I met a pastor, and one of the first things he said, was memorize. I went to his office. He had the book of Romans open. He said, here, test me. And, you know, he started quoting Romans chapter one. Who does this? What are you doing? What, what's, what are you doing? We learned John 3.16. What else? The Lord's Prayer, the Shepherd's Psalm. And then we're good, right? 
like no he's he, chapter and verse he's, he's he's cranking out whole chapters whole books so long story short i started doing that and it reframed my whole universe i would have called myself a christian this reframed everything and then what happened was and this is what i'm getting to here i started to study history and i found you know what happened in acts that peace that joy that love that power that Camelot, that Narnia, that heaven on earth, it's happened again and again and again and again throughout human history. But I went to Bible college and I went to seminary and I went to PhD studies at kind of the elite Bible-believing seminary. Even the professors were pretty ignorant about these. I don't know why. It's almost like a satanic conspiracy. But there are these times when God comes and rest and visits his people, and you can have these little outposts of heaven on earth. And so that's what all these books are. And uh, it's one of my favorite guys, D.L. Moody. Some of you guys have that book. It was, anyway, I won't go into detail here. Um, that man led a million people to Christ. A million. A million. I think over 40 years, that's 70 people a day. And he was happy and he was joyful and he broke the tape and he didn't start a big church and then have an affair or a financial scandal or become a bully or whatever. And then everything fell apart. Nope, he broke the tape. And read about when he died. He died singing hallelujah. Here's the memoirs of Charles Finney. He, uh, he has a book called Lectures on Revival. It will change your life. He basically tells you how to create that kind of kingdom outpost in your church if you want it. I went to seminary and people were like, we hate Charles Finney. Charles Finney's satanic. Charles Finney's in hell. And I read lectures on revival. I'm like, I'm not seeing the problem here. Then you have books like this, The Flaming Tongue. This guy, Jay Moore, he, um, he's like 10,000 times better than I am at finding these outbreaks of heaven on earth he spent his whole life he's an oxford educated phd he wrote probably i guess 40 books it seems like 40 books is the number that everybody who wrote a lot of books wrote this one's called the flaming tongues and he's talking about the revivals that went that blew up all over the world from 1900 to 1910 in the united states historians don't know about them whole countries were taken over by the glory of god so i got all these books Oh, here's a more recent one. This is a mighty rushing one. This is uh, in Indonesia in the 1970s. Millions of people came to Christ. The glory of God visited uh, Indonesia. That's one of my favorite guys, Jonathan Goforth, by my spirit. He was a Presbyterian minister, and he stunk at ministry and evangelism, and like some of you guys did or do. And then he read, actually read Charles Finney. And Charles Finney said, man, if there's a recipe for making this happen, I don't mean to make it sound too mechanical, Principles to follow to have the glory of God attend what I'm doing. He read it, studied it, and then he went back to China, and the glory of God went everywhere that he went. This is just—it's by my spirit because he figured out how to cooperate with God's spirit. See how these miracles happen. But oh, God won't move in China like that. He might move maybe in Wales, maybe in the U.S. Then no, he moves wherever humans are humans. He loves humans because they're made in his image. But. It, yeah, just tons of these books. Oh, England, before and after John Wesley. 
unfortunately, John Wesley's kind of the origins of the Methodist Church. But if you think the Methodist Church today has anything to do with John Wesley, it's hard to explain. Come up afterwards. It's such a different animal than it was. It didn't evolve. It devolved into crazy. But um, this man turned the whole course of Western English-speaking civilization. The abolitionist movement, why there was an end to slavery, ultimately you can track it back. He said England before and after Wesley because he says you're going to track all the, not just spiritual implications, but social implications of what happened here. Labor reform and prison reform and child labor laws and all this kind of stuff. It all went back to this man bringing the kingdom to earth. Sometimes 20, 30, 40, even 50,000 people come to open fields to hear him preach. That the power of God would come down and just mow them all down. People's lives would be transformed. All these people. Oh, here's, here's a good one. Francis Asbury. Guess who the college was named after? He was like John Wesley in the United States. People don't know about these people. They don't know about the fact that they brought the kingdom of God to earth. You can get a seminary degree, never hear about these people, never hear what they did. There's massive overlap into the way they went about doing things. But you have to read the primary sources, or whoever's teaching you about them will skew them to make them what they want them to be. But if you actually read them and say, what were they about? About prayer? Different kind of prayer than most of us grew up with. Holiness. Fully yielding to God's will. Getting in touch with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's crazy stuff. That's don't talk to me about. Yeah, that's just what the devil wants you to say. Study these people. There's all this massive overlap in how they did things. And it's what brought the glory of God. What I got here. Oh, these are the works of John Wesley. So I don't need to go over that. This is like a 10 volume set. C.T. Studd, one of the great missionaries of the 1800s, heir to a fortune, one of the great athletes in England at the time. When he discovered the love of God and the truth of the gospel, he gave away his fortune and walked away from his athletic career. Because it's at the end of his life, someone said, tell us about all the sacrifices you've made for God. He said, I never made a sacrifice. If you don't understand that, you haven't walked with the Lord. You can't outgive him. And if he's trying to get something out of your hand, it's only because he wants to put something a hundred times better in your hand. <clears throat> Got a whole bunch of these videos. This ministry is dedicated. There's, there's still little outbreaks of this kind of heaven on earth transformations videos. Anybody watched any of those? Oh, that's sad. Only a handful of people. Because God's still willing to do this. Um, yeah, it's probably, oh, we got Oswald Chambers in here. I know Brandon Highstone will like that. He's always reading. Uh, got Brother Andrew in here. So anyway, why, why am I doing this? Because I know we can have heaven on earth. I know it. I know it, I know it, I know it. I know God will restore broken lives. I know he can forgive anybody. I know that the totally insane can be sane again. Um, he heals the broken. I know we can all have that loving community that we're longing for. The Bible says it. It's not Camelot. Camelot's a misty, wispy dream. 
that's rooted in mythology and fiction. This is stuff that really happened all the way back to biblical times. And I know it's true, too, because although I've never been a part of a fire that has blazed indefinitely, I see the stuff that these guys are talking about all the time. I see, honestly, like a couple major answers to prayer, supernatural things, life change things. Every week, every single week. And I'm just always saying, well, if I pushed harder, guess what would happen? And not just me, but you guys too. God's kingdom can come and his will can be done on earth. And his will being done doesn't mean we're going to submit to whatever happens. That's not what that means. And for those of you who are smart and you think that's what a Calvinist should teach, you've not even read John Calvin because John Calvin says, we're not saying that when we say your will be done. We're saying, let the things happen that we know are good and right that you've commanded on earth. That doesn't make sense to you? File it away. But God wants to bring change. God wants to bring justice. God wants to take care of the orphan and the widow and get the street person off the street and, and find a family for the fatherless and the homeless and the orphan and the elderly and bring justice and, and racism and oppression and Jesus' death on the cross restores our souls, and then we can join this amazing prophetic army of his that he intended and uh, march out there and take over. And I know it's real because I see little flashes and glimmers of it all the time in this group. So right now, though, unfortunately, the church is not Camelot. It's more like Scamelot. <laughs> or sham a lot. You didn't get the second one, sham a lot. It's a mess. And it's 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 humiliating. It's my son works in the secular kind of he works in downtown Denver because so you can't really say you're a Christian. You especially can't say you're an evangelical now. Those are just ugly. Oh, you hate people, huh? Oh, you're a militant Trumper. Yeah. That's what that means. I want to step on someone's toes. Sorry about that. It's not what being a Christian means. It's not what being a disciple means. It's not what being born again means. But that's what the world sees. Oh, you hate gay people. Mm -hmm. You're a hater. And that's what you are. No, that's, that's what we've become. And then the biggest churches, they blow up and they implode. And they blow up and they implode. And they blow up and they implode. And... Do I have to give you a review of the names of the biggest churches and pastors and ministries that have blown up and imploded over the last 20 years? We've lost our way. We've lost our bearings. We've lost the recipe. So I'm saying all this. I'm pretty good on time, too. Because uh, right now we're kind of I'm getting ready for one of the bigger moves of my life. And uh, we are, boy, how much should I go into this? When you want to hear God's voice, it's not crystal clear. He doesn't, Jesus' face doesn't show up in your oatmeal. He doesn't write on the sky. Usually you get a, you get a, usually a prompting from the Lord. And then you go study the scripture to see, well, is that the Lord? Then you talk to people that you trust, that they seem to walk with the Lord. 
And if you get those three things in line, you usually hit a home run. I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years and I see a lot of cool stuff, but usually it's a impression from God. And then you look in the scripture, would this be the kind of thing God would say? Because the devil will gladly give you impression, especially if you're proud and super spiritual, he'll lead you right to hell. But check that impression with the word and then check it with godly people around you. And if you get those three things straight, um, so there's another little book in here by a guy named George Mueller, who's maybe the most miraculous of them all. You're like, hey, I could read that one. Yeah, it's, this is the last interview of his life. And it, he just talks about all the amazing miracles. He raised 10,000 orphans by faith. He led, boy, tens of thousands of people into the kingdom. Um, just incredible. When he died, people came from all over the world just because... He was such an example of the fact that God is real and still. And he lived his life this way because he said, I'm just trying to show you guys what's possible. So I did it. He said, anybody could do this. Literally, he raised 10,000 orphans. He never asked for a dime. Yeah, you should read about him. But anyway, it's not about, not about him. It's about the fact that this is a reality. We can have it. The church right now has lost its way. Um, the church is imploding. Being a Christian is an, is almost a pejorative now in culture. Oh, you're a jerk. Okay. I don't know what you're about. Oh, you're judgmental. You're mean. Oh, you're selfish. Oh, you don't want those people coming into your country. Yeah, that's just like Jesus. Keep them out. Right? If that offends you, deal with it. We're, we're lost. We're crazy. Our churches are not heaven on earth. But I know it's possible. And I experience little flashes and glimmers of it all the time. In this place, um, the, gener the wild generosity, outrageous. I said, we got to get Michaela and Alan home from India because they're over there trying to get Michael he's got cancer we've maxed out all our money we've maxed out all the international money we've maxed out our church's benevolence fund it's going to cost $10,000 let's take care of in like two hours I've been in other churches that would have never been taken care of they'd have gone through panel and committee and session and denominational headquarters and blah blah blah, blah. right so, well, I'm seeing it. Lives transformed, especially people who like to sit on this front row who are really, especially you, Joe, you're the worst. No, just kidding. <laughs> just broken, 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 restored, finding hope and joy and peace. So I know that what they talked about and they experienced a thousand times more than we do, it's real. So I'm getting ready to make one of the bigger moves in my life. I was talking about George Mueller and how he said, you know, he said there's a fourth thing to discern the will of God as well. So you've got what am I feeling? What does the word say? What does wise counsel say? And then he says, you can also pay attention to circumstances. So there is a property that's come on. It's not on the market. It's only available to us from what I'm aware of. And uh, it's where we started. There's like, how many of us? 10, 15, sitting around a little circle. I guess we're a church, uh, church, let's do churchy things, let's sing and over the Bible. And we talked about Acts and a lot of the same stuff I'm talking about here. That's where a lot of you guys were baptized. 
It's where we had our seminars on Saturday. It's I called one of the guys on my international board and he said, oh, that's coincidental. That's where I was really found my way in college and got connected to the Lord right in that property. And uh, wow, circumstantially, that looks really interesting. And then the other day we're sitting in the um, coffee shop, Jason and I, and the pastor of the church that owns the property was sitting in there and he comes over and we're talking and he said, man, basically, I really like what you're doing. I like this intensive discipleship stuff that you're doing. That's my heart. And I said, yeah, everybody says that. Everybody who's a Christian says intensive. What church is going to, no, we're kind of the half-baked discipleship. We're kind of in a lay-mo discipleship. No, everybody's going to say we're in an intensive discipleship. But I'm saying, you don't understand we have all nights of prayer. Well, they had those in the book of Acts. You know that we, we have a prayer meeting. And if you're seriously a member of this church, you're going to be there. Virtually everybody in this church shares their faith. We take in the shatter. We go after them. We have homes for them. And, and we're just getting started. We'd like to have, we've got four houses. We'd like to have 50 houses. And he's not flinching. I said, well, maybe you want to read my book. I already read it. And he basically says, our board's waiting for an offer. I was like, that looks kind of circumstantial to me. You know, I had the nudge. We've been pursuing it. Uh, check the scripture. Why are we going to use it? We're going to use it so people learn about this stuff. The church right now needs to be saved. We are lost and blind and out of our minds. Churches without prayer meetings. Churches the. I mean, fornication isn't even a thing. You know, it's just church discipline. What's that? People who are mighty in the scripture, we don't even know what that means anymore. Back in the days of the Moravians, where really a lot of this began, they'd have the whole New Testament memorized. We actually have one guy in our broader community. He's on a three-year plan to memorize every verse in the New Testament. And when he's done, I'll have to pin the blue ribbon on his chest because I've not done that. But that shouldn't be rare. People fast, people pray, people go after the broken. On Friday, we're out sharing Christ with people on, on K-State campus. But I still feel convicted because I want to do more. And then I was talking to Matt the other day. He's like, Here's, make a long story short. So what, 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 what drives you? I, it's not guilt. It's not trying to shame anybody. What else is there? It's fun. It's joy. There's nothing better than seeing a life restored, except the presence of God that you experience when you worship him and engage him or really interface with him through his word. But I mean, a life restored, I mean, that'll put you on your face. What pushes you? I guess it's just the spirit of God. I've, I've tasted and I've seen that he's good. I want more. It's not going to make him love me anymore. I'm already loved. I'm already set. He can't love me anymore. He can't love you anymore. But that becomes the, the launch pad, not the goal. And as a launch pad, yeah, it just makes everything fun. It makes your burden light. It makes it all easy and light. So uh, I kind of wanted to work all this together into uh, an appeal to you guys for prayer because, yeah, this is a massive step. This is 
we don't have the money for this right now, but we figured out a way we can do it. Why don't we have money? People ask me about this church. Say, how many people are in your church? I said, probably 100 people call this their church. They never all come at the same time, but probably 100 people say, that's my church. They like, who supports you? <laughs> We're paying four people. And I don't mean poverty rations. I mean, we're literally, we hired Jason full-time. We just created an internship position for Joe. Uh, we, the, the women's house, Lynette runs. Because you guys are so outrageously generous. But I'm like, well, we don't have a whole lot left after all that. But just the fact that you do it is unbelievable. This church is the 500 people that have to, the pastor has to go swing a hammer. So we don't have the money for this. We figure out a way to do it. Uh, it's two properties. One of them is a house. We're just going to shift all the guys from the 210 house over there. Bam, that's $2,000 towards a mortgage. We're going to, for bigger services like this, we'll probably keep you having to lease a place, rent a place, whatever. But for all the little stuff, all the seminars and everything, then we'll be able to put a couple thousand dollars towards that place a month. And then you outrageous givers, I already have someone who said, and this is nuts. And I, if God doesn't tell you to give, don't. We don't need your money. God's going to do this. It's your privilege to get involved when God's doing something. I'm not going to go grovel to some businessman. It's his, it's his benefit and blessing to get on board with what God's doing. But there's already, there's already someone in the church that is, is, if I told you what they were willing to put towards this, you, you'd be amazed. But we still don't have even close to what we need. And so, but we, we can cover mortgage for sure. And we're like, well, how to get the down payment? Well, Susan and I prayed about this. And we said, we're going to just get a loan against our house. That's what we're going to do. We can get a loan against our house. Our house is, our house is paid for. We can, get, we can get a down payment. Um, I'm not in this for the money. I'll do whatever the heck we need to do to bring heaven to earth. What are you kidding me? I, I don't think Susan would be down with this. I would sell my house and live under a bridge. I'm not kidding. I, I want to see this happen. And all of us need to be obedient and go for it, whatever. But we're gonna have a we're gonna buy this. It's a property that's not the world does not need another multi-million dollar facility that people warm a pew for two hours a week. We need a place where people are discipled, where people are learning, where people are becoming mighty in scripture, where people are going for prayer, like the early apostles. Do you know that there was not a church building as we think of church buildings on planet Earth for three centuries after the death of Christ? The church did all right. We don't need another church. We need a place where people can come and learn. So, I, I envision wall-to-wall -wall bookshelves with all of this literature, because I brought you a sampling of some of my favorites. There's thousands of these books, and these people will floor you with what they accomplished for God and what was made, you know, what they show you is possible for God. But uh, there's some of you guys in here want to learn the original languages. You know, Seaver comes up here, and some of you guys got lost. These, we got some super smart guys. You don't have to be super smart. You have to be super obedient. But there are some super smart guys in the kingdom. And uh, Seaver's talking. I'm like, Seaver, hold back, buddy. Don't don't take us into parsing Greek participles or any of that stuff. Just give us some simple stuff. But there's people that are called in the ministry. They want to learn languages. They want to learn Hebrew. They want to learn Greek. 
There's people that want to do, you know, master's level theological studies. There's people, there's people that want someone to pr- somewhere to pray at four in the morning. Uh, we have nights of prayer. I don't want to just have one night of prayer. I want to have five nights of prayer, like they did in the book of Acts, because I want to see the kingdom come and God's will be done. So all this to say, this is uh, this is uh, made available to us, and I want to see this happen. And so uh, if this does not move your heart, uh, if you're walking with the Lord, I don't care. Do what you're supposed to do. But I think the people that it is, are supposed to get involved are going to get involved, and this thing's going to happen. I've never preached a sermon shaking people down for money. Have I ever? Never. Some people in here have been with me for 15 years or at the last church. I don't, I don't need to shake people down for money. All I need to do is tell you, walk with the Lord. If you're supposed to be a part of it, you will. I'm not going to, I don't want money from someone that, that I'm guilting them into giving something they don't, you know, it's not in their heart to give. So anyway, but this is where we're going. I need your prayers because this is the week. Susan and I are going to be talking to banks. We're going to be praying. We're going to be trying to make this thing happen um, so that we can make disciples keep perpetuating the stuff that we're doing that is getting the cool results uh, more. 10 times more, not two, not two seminars a week, 20 seminars a week, not just Tad teaching them all. We got 20 good teachers now. Seriously, we do. Hallowed, exalted, glorified, magnified, honored, appreciated, understood, propagated. Be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let us play some little part in that, Lord. And we pray for another season of glory. Help us, Lord, the good things that you're doing. We pray you multiply them. The things that are getting in the way, like fear and pride and selfishness, disunity, Prune it out, Lord, as gently as possible. But get rid of it, Lord, so you can bear more fruit. We praise you for what you started. Um, We cling to you, Lord, um, because apart from you, you can't do anything. But with you, Lord, we can do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine. So we just pray bring this to pass. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So.